Welcome to the John Chapman Show, where we talk about the path of a wealthy millennial, uncovering the truth about building and protecting your nest egg. Join us on this journey as we hear the stories of millennials and mentors alike to help you plan, manage, and protect your wealth. John is an employee of Worth Point LLC. All opinions expressed by John and podcast guests are solely their own opinion and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Worth Point. This podcast should not be relied upon for investment decisions and is for informational purposes only. How many lawsuits are filed in the U.S. every single day? The number is absolutely going to blow you away, as it did for me. Hey, what's up, everyone? John Chapman. Today, we talk with Doug Laudmill, the asset protection attorney, about all things asset protection. And maybe you're thinking, I have no idea what that means. Maybe you're thinking, that's probably only for super rich people. Or you could be thinking, I have a a revocable living trust or a will. I'm totally protected. Be careful, my friends. It's a big world out there. We've got a lot to learn, and this episode is just jam-packed. I encourage you to listen to the end. I also want to say thanks for stopping in. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening. Make sure to rate it, leave a comment so that others can also be part of the conversation. We've been hearing from a number of folks recently. Be sure to reach out. You can find me at thejohnchapmanshow.com. And shoot me an email. Without further ado, let's dive in to today's episode with Doug Laudmill. Well, hi, Doug Laudmill. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. How are you? I'm great, John. I'm happy to be here. Well, today let's talk about asset protection. Doug, give us an overview of what, what's the status of our litigious environment like in the United States? Yeah, I wrote a book called The Lawsuit Lottery, and it, The Hijacking of Justice in America, because it, it's, it's really appalling. You know, and I clerked for a federal uh, district court judge in New York during law school. And it, it's amazing how our legal system is actually was originally set up to discourage lawsuits. We, we really did. The founding fathers were very clear on it and how that has all been completely dismantled. And mm-hmm. today, lawsuits are just part of life. So um, I think the statistic today is that there are 70,000 lawsuits filed every single day in this country. A head scratcher every day over seventy thousand. That just boggles my mind. Yeah, it's 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 a it's an industry. It's a huge huge industry, and the vast majority of the money doesn't go to the quote unquote victims. You know, the people that that are theoretically the injured party that is being sued on behalf of. It's close to eighty percent of all of the money that flows through the legal system goes to the legal system, including all the lawyers that that you know, participate in that. Mm, crazy. I, that makes me think with the an increase in just the sheer volume of lawsuits, my first thought was, am I really at risk? So my question is, who, who is at risk of having some type of lawsuit that's going to impact their assets? Well, you know, that's a, that's a really good question. And it's almost easier to ask, answer with who, who's not at risk. So who's not at risk is the uh, student that gets out and he's got $150,000 of debt. He's got no assets. He's got no parents with no assets. And, you know, I mean, he's, he's just completely dead broke and in debt. That person is at risk to get sued. But once the suing party realizes there's nothing to get, he will be passed over very quickly. So, the, you know, the asset profile unfortunately, more than anything else, starts to drive who the target is. Um, I, I would love to say the answer to this question is if you're out doing risky stuff. 
But unfortunately, it, it's more relevant if you have assets that could be taken than if you're doing risky stuff. If you're doing risky stuff on top of having assets that could be taken, well, now you're, you're at, at, at a double threat. Let's give some definitions to asset protection. We were chatting beforehand. Few people seem to understand this. I work as a financial planner and, and I can't say I have a full understanding of it at all. So I imagine those listening may not understand it. So help us understand what is asset protection. Yeah, it, it's really simple. It's, it's taking your assets and putting them in a place where a creditor either can't reach them or has a really difficult time reaching them. So it's legally moving them away from the easy accessibility of a creditor. So if you have assets sitting in your own name at a bank and you get a judgment against you, the creditor can literally walk to the bank um, and, and seize your account. There's no asset protection. On the other hand, if you have assets in a 401k and you get a judgment against you, they can't because 401ks are protected under ERISA, which is a federal statute which, which defines and, and actually provides for asset protection. So asset protection as a concept is not foreign to our legal system. It's fact, it is baked into our legal system. Almost every state has some form of homestead exemption, which is a, an amount that you can keep in your home, even if you declare bankruptcy. As we just discussed, retirement funds, for the most part, are already off the table for creditors. So what we do as asset protection attorneys is actually take assets that are not protected and turn them into protected. You bring up a good point, which is qualified accounts. So there are certain assets that have a, a defaulted amount of asset protection to it, but there, the majority is probably most assets don't. And so your job is to put more distance between someone's assets and somebody who wants to take them. Right. Yeah. We just want to put a barrier there and we can do it in lots of different ways. But, but the goal is that if you have a creditor looking at you, they're going to do a financial analysis. They're going to look and say, okay, what's our upside on this? And just like the student coming out with nothing but debt, they're going to do that analysis and say, hey, I don't care how good the case is. There's no money to be had. We're not taking the case. Same thing here. We want them to actually look at our clients and say, this is not a good case for us. We, even if we can win it, our chance of collecting is very low. And since we're working on a contingent fee and we only get paid if, the, you know, if, we, if we collect, um, if we can't get paid, I think we're going to pass on this case. That, that's even a bigger win for my clients than winning a case is having someone pass on them altogether. Can you give us some more examples of how a lawsuit would arise? It's hard for me to imagine since I haven't dealt in this industry, but let me first give some examples of, let's say, a corporate employee with a lot of high income that has a nice house and cars and yada, yada, and maybe another example of um, a small business owner who owns an office building and has some employees. Like, what are, what are some of the potential types of lawsuits that they might find themselves in? Well, you know, it, it's, it's funny because there's, there's two different types of lawsuits in my, in my mind. There's the kind that are covered by insurance and that most people don't think about because they have insurance. And that would be like a car accident. So if you have a car accident, you don't, you don't worry about it because you, you got insurance. Um, but I've had no less than six calls this year with car accidents that were so devastating and the liability so high. In one case, the guy had a $3 million umbrella insurance and it, it's not anywhere near covering the, the, oh, wow. the amount of damages. That's scary. So, um, that's what we call an excess judgment type of risk. Okay. So you have insurance, but it's not enough. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, those are getting a lot more common because 
one, it's a lot easier to justify a huge award, especially if someone is, is injured and needs care for the rest of their life, or if they're killed or they can't work and they were high earners. So it's very, it's, it's very common now to get these multi-million dollar judgments for car accidents. So if you only have a, you know, 100, 300 insurance or something, then you're probably woefully underinsured. Mm. That for the corporate employee that has the high income is probably the area of greatest risk that they haven't really thought about because they got their car insurance a long time ago. They never really review the limits. They don't have an umbrella policy and they're really woefully under underinsured. Mm. Um, and so, you know, first step is just make sure you're not underinsured. Second step is know that even if you get a lot of insurance, there's still the chance that you're underinsured. Um, especially if you live in Silicon Valley or something crazy where, you know, you could get in an accident with somebody worth $200 million and that's kind of the normal thing there, right? <laughs> mm. Well, um, before we go on to your next example, yeah, you bring up an important piece of how these overlap on top of each other. The first layer of protection being car insurance, the next layer potentially being the umbrella policy, which not, not everyone even has. And, and even then if you do have, there's some logical limit to that, a 1 million or 3 million, some type of, uh, of, of limit to your, to your umbrella. So there still needs to be asset protection beyond some of those figures. Well, if there's assets. And so that really gets into, you know, who needs asset protection? Well, if you, um, if you have high income, but you have no assets, you spend every penny of it, you're not saving, you don't, you just, you're not investing, you're not buying real estate, you're not investing in the stock market. Asset protection is a little bit less important for you because you're, you're not building any assets to protect. On the other hand, um, even with a modest income, if you're really good about saving and investing and you're putting money away, um, it definitely becomes more relevant because, you know, the power of investing is, is that it starts to grow on its own really fast at some point. And so a lot of people kind of get caught and, and they go from a mentality where I don't need asset protection. And they look up one day and they're like, wow, actually I have assets. And I'm, and as soon as that happens, it's almost an internal tipping point. And John, I've seen it happen so many times where they just kind of wake up and they're like, oh my God, I'm at risk. And mm. I can't afford to lose what I've got. Mm. Um, and, and so that's a really good time to be talking with an asset protection attorney. So talk a little bit about what the potential lawsuits someone might face if they're a small business owner and they own either buildings or have employees and, and what, what's at risk for that person? Yeah, so they have the same types of risk as the first person, but more because now they have employees. Um, and actually, for let's take a doctor or a dentist, um, a dentist that has you know a dozen employees is actually about three times more likely to have a, an employee-related lawsuit than they are to have a malpractice-related lawsuit. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay. Tell yeah, employees are a huge risk. Um, if you happen to live in California, that number is probably closer to five times because California is just incredibly uh, difficult for employers to navigate the waters. Um, it's very, very much built around employee rights, not employer rights. That's probably your greatest risk, regardless of the type of business you have, whether you're a doctor or you're, you know, you're, you're a computer repair shop. Your employees are definitely something that you want to address. Um, again, you want to address that with really good internal practices and policies and a good procedure manual and a really good support team to support you on, the, on how to do HR stuff correctly. And then know that, look, that might not be enough. Uh, it, it's still possible to just get something wrong or not get something wrong and just have a bad outcome from something that happened and end up with a lawsuit. Um, so definitely small business owners, 
um, of any type. Uh, if you have assets, if you own your office building, just having stuff like your office building in the right spot, you know, in an LLC and leased back to your business instead of in the business. And I see less of that today than I used to, but I used to see a lot of office buildings in the main business because the accountants, you know, put it there for the depreciation. Um, but that, that would obviously not be the way to do it. If you're setting it up today, you'd, you'd want a separate LLC. And that's part of what we do is we look at all the assets and say, okay, how, how can we arrange these so that they're not only protected from an outside creditor, but for, for protected from each other. You know, mm -hmm. if someone comes and slips and falls in the office building, we don't want to lose everything because the office building was in the wrong spot. What about for those that are thinking asset protection is just for the 10 or 20 million person? You know, I, I'm, I'm a dentist. I've got a practice. I've got a handful of employees that, yeah, sure, I, I've, uh, I own my own building, but I've got a big mortgage. So who, who does this uh, start to apply to? You said assets, but is this only for somebody that has 10 or 20 million dollars? Yeah, you know, that, that was always kind of the conventional wisdom. And, and 20 years ago, you know, uh, there were lots of even asset protection, not lots, there were only a few 20 years ago at all. But the, even the few that were out there, we're kind of focusing on the, the 10 million and up type of clients and 5 million liquid before you need to talk to us. Um, that is not my practice. I've been doing this for 22 years, thousands of clients, my average client is between two and $5 million in net worth. And I believe after doing this for that long, I understand really clearly why. And it's because those clients cannot afford a lawsuit. They, they are not prepared for it, not mentally, not financially. They, they are, it, it, it's absolutely devastating when you have $3 million, you've worked your whole life for it. It's, it's a lot of money. You need it to retire every penny and you get a lawsuit, which can easily run into the millions of dollars over, over nothing. So in my book, that you know, you should be starting to look at asset protection when you have a million dollars or less. I mean, there's some things we do that are very simple. Even your first couple hundred thousand, I would be, I would be aware of what my path is. So sooner is better with asset protection. You don't want to wait because if you wait, you run into a different problem, which is, you know, sometimes it becomes too late to put it in place if you actually end up with the, mm. with the liability uh, and haven't done anything. Mm. Without going too far in the weeds, maybe we can talk a little bit about trusts because mm -hmm. some might think, well, when I had kids a, a years ago, somebody told me that I needed a, a will and or a trust and I set up a living trust and, you know, I put my primary home in there. So d doesn't that cover me? How, how, how does that fit into the overall plan? Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up because um, th th there's a lot of misunderstanding and I, I talk to people all the time and they say, oh yeah, actually I'm good. I got a trust. And I say, okay, what kind of trust is it? They said, you know, the kind of trust, it's a living trust. Uh, I say, okay, it's a revocable living trust. Um, and, and, and they'll often say, yeah, my attorney said I'm protected. And, and, <laughs> and so I say, well, what he meant or what she meant when they said you were protected in quotes was that you have planned for death and you're going to minimize the estate taxes and you're going to avoid probate. What they did not mean when they said you're protected was that if a, you get sued and you have a judgment against you, that anything in the trust would be exempt from yep. the judgment. Bingo. Bingo. That's what it is. Right. Yeah. So, so it's usually just a misunderstanding and the lawyer's not wrong in saying you're protected, but we're talking about different things. So a revocable living trust has no asset protection whatsoever. Zero. It, it, it's, it's, it's absolutely a non-issue for a creditor to just blast right through a revocable living trust. <laughs> 
that just yeah i i have this image that you said just blast right through a revocable living trust that's exactly probably what they would do um oh, which uh, exactly. really isn't laughable it's if anything it's scary so uh yeah so yeah so so what, what what's other terminology that people need to educate themselves on aside from the revocable living trust okay so so just in the highest level there's really kind of two worlds of asset protection the domestic side, meaning anything in the United States. So that would be limited liability companies and limited partnerships, charging order protection that those types of entities provide. Um, people like to talk about corporations and the corporate shield and the corporate veil. Um, so all those are falling under the category of domestic. I, I use domestic. I think it's very powerful. You definitely need it. Um, but depending on the asset profile and, and the amount of assets, sometimes it's not enough. The other side of the world is what's called offshore or foreign asset protection. And when we get there, we're really just talking about one main tool, which is an asset protection trust. Um, and there are domestic asset protection trusts. So when you're trying to educate yourself, you, you really need to understand, you know, the difference and how they're useful and, and, and how they're not you know, what the drawbacks and, and the benefits are to both sides of it. And what I do with clients is I just kind of walk them through the whole thing and, and give them a kind of a history lesson of, of, you know, how asset protection works and, and specifically what's applicable to them. Um, so, you know, in doing your research, I would, I would just focus. There's a lot of confusion. It's really, really helpful to just start first with someone that has the knowledge and then back it up with your research. If you go the other way around, you might get off into the weeds. We will link to your website, Doug, because you've got a bunch of really great resources. I've listened to many of them before this podcast and also had seen a, a YouTube video that you've done where you went through some of the, the history of domestic and offshore trusts. And so for those listening, I encourage you uh, to, to look at that and we'll link to it in this podcast. So uh, one a quick question while we're on the subject, where does the terminology irrevocable trust fit into this? Yeah, so that's really important. So, so revocable living trust, the one we talked about before that has no asset protection, the reason it has no asset protection is because it's revocable, meaning you, the creator of the trust, have the option at any time to walk up to that piece of paper, write void on it, and that trust is literally disappears. Kind of like Harry Potter, it's magic. It just, just, just makes that trust gone. Irrevocable means that you have taken that power away from yourself. You cannot walk up to the trust document, write void on it, um, because you have said, I am not able to revoke the trust. And if you're going to do an asset protection trust, it does need to be irrevocable. Now, that has a whole nother set of considerations around it, and there are different types of irrevocable trust. Some of them are and 99% and of them that you think about are completed gifts, meaning when I uh, irrevocably gifted my assets into the trust, they were actually for somebody else, not for me. Mm. The asset protection type of irrevocable trust is different. And you are irrevocably putting, creating the trust, then you're putting assets into it, but you're the beneficiary of it. So while it's irrevocable, it does not mean that it is no longer part of your estate. And it also does not mean that it's all of a sudden inflexible. Mm, um, a, lot of, a lot of people confuse the two type of trust. Even a lot of attorneys that aren't familiar with asset protection confuse the two types of irrevocable trust. So an irrevocable asset protection trust is a very different thing than an irrevocable children's trust, for example. They're mm. very different. They have different tax consequences. They're treated differently. 
Um, mm-hmm. and, and they have completely different purposes. Doug, this is beyond fascinating. Thank you for joining us today and sharing some of your expertise for people that know that they, they realize in themselves that they need something like this. Where, where can they find out more information about you or your firm? Yeah. So, I mean, the easiest thing is just email me directly. And my email is just my name, Doug at lodmel.com, L-O-D-M-E-L-L.com. If you have a question or if you'd like to have a call, uh, anybody listening to this, I'm happy to have a, a, an analysis with you at no cost and, and we can just go over your situation. If you want to just do research, you can go to my website, which is just lodmel.com. As you mentioned, John, there's just a ton of videos and, and good content on there. So if you want to do all your own education first, feel free to just go there and look for it. If you are into real estate, there's a specific paper and, and podcast series that I developed about you know, how to asset protect real estate. It's a different topic than cash. And a lot of people get confused and think you can't do it, but you can do it. And so if you want that, just email me and I'll, I'll send you a link to it. Right on. So cool. Doug, really appreciated. And thanks for stopping in. Hope you have a great day. Yeah. Thanks, John. Great being here. Thanks for tuning in to the John Chapman show. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. We encourage your questions, comments, and feedback. For additional information, check out thejohnchapmanshow.com or look for John on LinkedIn and Twitter. See you next week.